Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Today it's match day nine as Harry Kane does a Naim from the halfway line, Florian Wirtz does a JJ Okocha, Dortmund do a new Dortmund by coming back to get a 3-3 draw and Union make it an imperfect 10 with double-digit defeats. All of this and a lot more in this week's edition of Beer and Honey. Hello, dear listener. Welcome to Beer and Honey. I'm Rafael Honigstein. And I'm Christoph Biermann. And we welcome a very special guest to the show. But before we will introduce him, let me just quickly mention that uh, we thank you very much for your support. And we can still do with a bit more of that. If you can become a Beer and Honey supporter, uh, we'd be really appreciative. Uh, if you can become an ultra, that'd be even better. You get a mug in return if you take out a season ticket. Uh, you can find all the info on steadyhq.com slash en slash Beer and honey. Thank you very much in advance. But Christoph, we have a very special guest, which you would like to introduce now. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy uh, that Jonas Hummels is with us today. Um, he is uh, a pundit with the zone. The zone is um, the, um, is it a proper TV station? No, it's a platform uh, that has a right for the Bundesliga games on Friday and Sundays. And I can say that he is my favorite pundit. And uh, yeah, it's, and it's not because he is here. Um, I really like his analysis. Uh, he's great. He has been playing for uh, Bayern as a youth player and won with Bayern the under 17 German championship. And then when he was 18, moved on to Spielvereinigung unter Haching. I think we we can't call them the the local rivals of Bayern, <laughs> and and he has been playing there uh, for for many years in the um, uh, third division of uh, of German football. But unfortunately, he had to end his career um, very early because of a lot of injury issues. Uh, so when he was twenty six, he stopped playing, and um, he had uh, studied psychology in the meantime and in 2017 he started his own company wow uh, a tech company Jonas what what kind of company is that so first of all pleasure to be here what an introduction I mean I can call myself a German national title champion so haven't heard <laughs> that in a while though um, yeah uh, I mean, re regarding the company, we are, we are an HR tech company based in the US. I'm one of the founders and yeah, it would be, I think, a waste of time to explain what we are doing because it's rather um, not complicated, but boring compared to uh, football. So it's an HR tech company. I think this is all you have to know. Okay, and and we what we probably also um, should know, or, or our listeners should know, uh, you also have a brother who plays football at a club called Borussia Dortmund. So some people might have heard of him. His name is Mats Hummels. And um, but now we're ha happy to have you here, um, uh, Jonas. Um, goal crazy Bundesliga again, forty two goals. Uh, is a Bundesliga um, 
terrible in defending? I mean, you've been the defender. Um, is the Bundesliga terrible in defending or what's, what's going on? What's the reason uh, for this goal frenzy? Compared to other leagues or compared to, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago? Because in general, yes, they are terrible in defending, but I think everybody is kind of terrible in defending because all, everybody wants to score goals. Everybody wants to be on TikTok and Instagram, etc. So I think defending is not as um, interesting and glorious as before. Okay, well, terrible defending is the perhaps the right segue into a very eventful and very entertaining Three-all draw on Sunday night. Uh, Borussia Dortmund traveled to Eintracht Frankfurt. They were 2-0 down. They were 3-2 down. But in the end, they came away with a point after that very impressive midweek performance that Christoph and I talked about in our special edition for supporters only. Uh, Jonas, what did you make of this game? Was it another step back for Dortmund from the highs of... The Newcastle game in as much that they didn't defend properly, took a long time to get going, or was it ultimately a good point which showed the newfound resilience that we saw at St. James's Park? Um, so I think it was a huge step forward, to be honest. I mean, if you compare this, this season's BVB performances to last year's season, I think Last year, at that point of the season, they would have lost 3-4-0 um, because of, I don't know, their lack of resiliency, as you called it. I think that's a good term. Um, but they're also getting more mature every day and every every week. And in general, I think, I mean, we were talking a little bit about defending. They are not defending well, but at least they are trying, right? I mean, they, everybody's running, everybody is, they have a weird midfield, a weird mixture of, of players, especially as, um, as a holding six. I think we're going to talk about it a little bit deeper, but in general, I think they are making progress um, because they had a huge win um, during the week tough game. I think everybody's kind of a little bit exhausted at that stage of the season because of all the national competition, international competitions. Everybody had to travel or most of the people had to travel. So in general, I think it was a, a win or a, a one point if that's a, if that's a proper term. Um, you already mentioned the holding six um, at Borussia. Um, in general, we were um, discussing in recent weeks what 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 um, direction Edin Terzic is heading to, and um, with the team, what do you think is his main idea? We've been talking about balance a lot in in that in that context, um, because what what we see now is that they try to have a slower build up pretty often, uh, more cautious build up. Um, but, 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 but tell us, what do you think is their main idea? <laughs> that, that is a tough question. That is a really, really tough question. I think um, Edin Terzic is a very um, player-focused coach. So he's not so much focusing on a whole system, on a whole approach. Okay, I want to, I don't know, I'm an offensive coach, I'm a defensive coach. He's very keen on putting those players in position who, are, who have the best form, who are probably in a, in a better shape than others. So this is, I think, his main idea in terms of who's on the pitch and in terms of the um, 
of the formation in general. He wants to like his setup is over the over the um, fullbacks usually, but now it's a little different. Last year was Guerrero, one of the best technical players in the league. Now there's Rami Benzebaini, who's more physical. It's a little different. Marius Wolf is different than Riasan. So I think there's not this one main idea at BVB. Um, they want to attack through the middle in in the offense. I think that's pretty obvious because they don't have that um, that classical winger. Even even Donny Malen, the, the the Dutch guy, is somebody who's always tending to to go through the middle and to n not go to the um, to the to the last line and yeah at some point it's it it seems i think hard to understand what his idea is but yeah i think he wants to to win games i know that's a very poor poor um, statement but yeah he's a coach he has this yeah approach on the game which I just tried to explain, but it's not that that easy to understand. If you look at, at Pep or others, or even Thomas Tuchel at Bayern, they have a more obvious idea of the game. What, Are you satisfied with that response? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll try to dig a bit deeper. I mean, you said the the midfield is the midfield is a bit weird. Uh, what do you mean by that? So yeah, so the midfield. So if you look at the the main person in midfield, and it's. It's Emre Can if he's if he's playing as a holding six and he's he's such a physical guy. He's not that classic holding six, you know, like Xabi Alonso or even like Kimmich is similar. But Bayern, you cannot compare that. Uh, maybe Granit Xhaka at Leverkusen, who are like really really focusing on the on being in front of the the, the center backs. But in general, they are very. Yeah, if he would be amongst us and not in, in, in the media, I would say they do whatever they want. <laughs> so everybody's kind of running from left to, to, to the right, from, from, from um, defense to offense. Julian Brandt is the best player in the team at the moment. He's usually a player in the, in the center midfield, like a, like a number 10, sometimes playing at the wing um, at BVB. So they don't have that classic setup. Royce is a... Uh, a mixed player. Like he's, he's very... Um, ambiguous in terms of his position. So sometimes he's he's further in the front, sometimes he's falling behind. And then you have Rama, uh, Ramazan Ejan, uh, Sali Ejan, who's more typical classic six. They played, I think, like three weeks ago. They played with two um, six, number sixes. I think that was pretty good because there was always somebody in front of the center backs. But I'm watching literally every BBB game and I still don't get a clear idea or a clear um, view on how they want to position themselves on the pitch. Sometimes they're attacking, sometimes just behind, like they, they did uh, against uh, against Frankfurt, where they were very deep in their own in their own half at some point. But yeah, I think the biggest struggle they have is to find that one person who is really focusing on being a holding six or being in a in the center of the um, in, in front of the center backs. What I found interesting yesterday um, in the first half, especially that they were so open to counter attacks, especially on the right side. It was better than in the second half when uh, Gio Reyna um, was put um, put off, and um, but also Benzebaini was 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 uh, giving his opponents a, a lot of space. Uh, what do you think was the idea, the initial idea behind it and, and, and what almost went completely wrong? So I think they went into the game and didn't want to attack that much. But Frankfurt is a 
Frankfurt's a weird team as well. They don't they really don't know if they if they are attacking if they're attacking um, team or if they want to be more like a defending team. Sometimes they have a lot of um, possessions. Sometimes sometimes they don't. So I think in general they were just very very tired at the beginning. I think you saw that if you looked at the faces, everybody was like the the body language was very not negative, but was like okay this is going to be a tough game. So they had, it was pretty obvious after the, after they um, conceded the first goal that this can be a very tough game. But in general, I think they completely um, knew what's, what Frankfurt wants to do. I think Ansgar Knauf played, played as a, um, played as in, in the starting, in the starting 11 because of that, because BVB is weak when it comes to counterattacks, because they're sometimes just a little tired in terms of defending, sometimes the, because they don't have that winger who is gonna attack the the fullback of the opponent, right? So this is always what where they are struggling. If the if the fullbacks are attacking their the opponent's fullbacks, then there is a lot of space behind them. And yeah, this is their struggle. This is why I want them to be like play with a back five, but nobody wants that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh Shall we talk about the VAR? Um, because uh, Frankfurt was furious about it, especially Axel Hellmann, the CEO of, of Eintracht Frankfurt, was saying, ah, I mean, we have heard this. It's a farce. Um, um, he, he was uh, uh, saying that this uh, VAR should partly abandon and only reduce to offside decisions and stuff, uh, stuff like this. And he was referring to a situation um, in the first half when um, Frankfurt could have been awarded a penalty. I, I must confess, as a neutral, I was happy that he, he, he uh, Robert Schröder, the referee, didn't give a penalty in the situation when um, uh, goalkeeper Alex Meyer touched the feet of, uh, who, who, who was it? Um, I think Omar Mamush. Ah, yes, of Omar Mamush. And um, kind of, yeah, touched it. And Omar Mamush was happy that his feet were touched and <laughs> he started. So um, I don't know, what, 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 what's your position on this? Uh, I think it's like a nine out of 10 times a penalty in that case, um, even from a, like a little BVB perspective, although I'm not, I mean, my brother plays there, but in general, I'm pretty objective when it comes to them. But the thing is, he, like the way he's falling is so weird because like, just keep on going. And if he touches you, just try to reach the ball. And if you can like continue running, then you have to fall. But in that way, he's like, he's throwing his arms in the, in the air and it's like his whole body is like doing a little bit of a dive. But in general, he's clearly touching, um, so Alex Mai is clearly touching his, 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 I think the right foot and the right foot even makes this movement to the, um, to the side. So I think it's a pretty, pretty clear penalty. Although I was happy about it though. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a tendency from German VARs to look for the perfect decision rather than for a decision that is defensible in the context of the game. So often I think you see, or more often you see the German referees being asked over to have a look at VR if the V having look having look at the monitor if the VR thinks the decision could have been better. And I think this has led to almost an expectation from players, from officials, that tight decisions will be reviewed on the monitor. And in theory, that's a good thing because you are you will get a better decision 
but of course it's very interventionist and and slows up the game quite a lot so i think there is something a little bit too busy in in the way that uh, vr is sometimes being applied in in the bundesliga what's your take on this situation rafa it looked like a penalty to me but if the rationale is that he basically used the contact and that the contact itself wasn't enough to bring him down then i would agree with both of you that it's a good decision and that we should encourage players not to go down um, even if it's annoying when it comes in the context of a lengthy <laughs> var review um, may maybe from here um, we can go to another game where the referee uh, was in the spotlight um, and that was in Munich. Raphael, what happened? Well, I don't know. Was he in the spotlight? Um, in a way, three, yes. Three I mean, red cards <laughs> happened in the first uh, half, which is something that never happened in 60 years of Bundesliga football. So real novelty. And all three had an element of VAR um, interference when it came to uh, showing the exact spot uh, where the foul was committed. Of course, that had an effect on whether it was uh, subject to the treble jeopardy rule or not. And yeah, we saw three sendings off, um, starting with uh, Joachimich in the fourth minute. His first ever uh, straight red card in, in his professional career. And Bayern were down one man for about 15 minutes. Uh, then the referee Martin Peterson evened things up when first Klaus Schizula and then Mate Maglica were sent off. And then it was eight against nine outfield players. They were still nil-nil uh, somehow. And then in the second half, Bayern took advantage of uh, massive spaces. <laughs> the kind of space that you never see at Allianz Arena from an opposition team. And yeah, their quality, their movement uh, all came to the fore. And uh, they scored eight goals in the second half, which again, uh, is not something that you see very often. It's only, uh, it's only the third time in the history of the Bundesliga that one team managed to, to score eight goals in in one half time. In one half. Uh, and one of those goals came from inside Bayern's half when Harry Kane spotted the uh, Darmstadt keeper off the line and uh, thought, why not? We're 4-0 up, might as well give it a go. And he scored a, a very beautiful goal, which brought back memories uh, to older viewers and perhaps listeners of Klaus Augenthaler's effort in 1989 against Frankfurt, which was voted goal of the decade at the time. Right, uh, a lot to dissect here, including, which we haven't even mentioned yet, Manuel Neuer coming back. His uh, comeback after that lengthy injury with the broken leg. He had a relatively quiet game, apart from one save in the first half, which he uh, did very well. Um, and... Some of the headlines were about him afterwards and speculation whether he will continue, etc. But really, it was uh, such a freaky game in its own right that uh, it was almost a side, a side show. Uh, Jonas, what stuck in the memory for you from this game? I mean, a lot, technically. So the three red cards, um, maybe we start there. Um, I think the referee, I can't even, even remember the name, although you said it like a minute ago. Martin he, Peterson. Martin Peterson. I think he's he was 
um, right in consistency, right? If you gave the first red card to Kimmich, you have to take, uh, you have to send the other two off as well. And I think in a whole, all three decisions are understandable. I think with a little more, I don't know, feeling for the game, he hasn't, he wouldn't have sent off Kimmich, and then the others shouldn't have been sent off as well. But I think it's 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 all it's okay. But um, yeah, three red cards are pretty pretty tough, especially if you're one man down against Bayern and you have and Bayern have more space, right? Three players less. That was pretty pretty obvious that they're gonna take advantage of that. And then you have Kane and Zane, who are just world class players at the moment, probably two of the best ten players at the moment, and the rest is yeah the best team in in Germany or yeah probably best team in Germany against one of the worst in the Bundesliga. So. This is the end of the story, nothing to mention for the game. And in terms of Manuel Neuer, I think he's the best goalkeeper ever. Um, I don't know if there is going to be anybody in the next 10, 15 years who has the same abilities. There's probably uh, definitely not somebody in the past. Paid players like, I don't know, Buffon, Khan or the others, they had similar class on the on the line. But in general, like his aura, his... His physical abilities in terms of, um, I mean, he's now 38. He's playing on that level for 15 years or almost 20 years. So um, that is a very, very, very good sign for the Bundesliga. Very good for 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 the um, for the national team. I think there's a huge competition between him and Testegen. So that is pretty, pretty nice. I like him. I think he's a great guy. He's a, an amazing goalkeeper. So that is what, that is um, what, like my little summary of that game um but before we move on to to the uh, the other games a word on harry kane i mean he has scored three um including this spectacular goal that um, rafael already mentioned um he has now 12 goals on him that's um a record for for a new player um in the in the at bayern or even in the bundesliga whatever breaking re records uh um at ease and um are you surprised that the transition from tottenham to um to bayern went so smoothly and and do you also because um uh, that was was uh, rafael suggested when we already talked about it um that um there is still a lot of room for improvement i think tiny room um he is he is amazing seriously i watched his press conference when he came because he is one of the three best strikers in the world as a as a whole he's not only a goal scorer he's very good in playing with the team he's very good with the back against the against the opponent's goal he's a he's the the full package to be honest he has a great mentality he came to bayern and he initially he immediately was saying the terms bayern wants to see right here i'm here to win titles I am here to win every game. And at Tottenham, it was okay to lose a game. Here at Bayern, it isn't. So he knew when he when he when he when he was arriving that there will be a lot of pressure. That the Bundesliga or Bayern works a little different. And his seriously, I'm I mean I'm I'm impressed. I was I was rather expecting some more difficulties in the beginning in terms of maybe the language. I think most of the people speak English anyways in the team, so that was a little easier for him. But if you looked at the history of of, of British players in the Bundesliga, there was a lot of difficulty. Um, 
difficulties for most of them. So I expected to be a little or to to have a little more problems in, be, in the beginning, but he's the perfect player for that system. He's the he's the perfect player for Thomas Tuchel. Thomas Tuchel, when when he was, I think somebody asked him if Kane's gonna start after he um, after he was a uh, he he arrived like I don't know two days before the game. So like sure, of course he starts, and he knew that he must put a team around Kane and that worked quite smoothly so far so yeah it's whoever did that transfer all hail the king <laughs> what um before we move on because you obviously um watch a lot of Bayern and have some Bayern connections what did you make what do you make of Tuchel ball of this rather, what is Tuchel ball? Tuchel ball for me is a rather passive setup Bayern concede possession quite happily and uh, in an effort to create space, attack quite late. Um, but if they then win the ball, then they have a lot of room to run forward and it frees up um, the strikers, the forwards from a lot of defensive work. I mean, they have to go deep, but they don't have to do so much um, in pressing high up the pitch. And of course, the main benefit is that you have a lot of situations where they run at a a back four and uh, try to bypass the midfield. And we see a lot of uh, situations where three or four Bayern players are running um, in the space that they themselves created. Is it a good setup for this Bayern team? Is it too passive for your liking? What, what's your overall take on this? So my overall take is I watched a lot of Tuchel when he was a coach at Dortmund and when he was a coach very there. Different. Very different. Totally different. There was like, he was this little pep, perfectionist i want to have 89 possession i want to have everybody in, in in the perfect position i put themselves in so he had always the struggle where he wanted to be the decision make not the decision maker but the decisive point when it um comes to win so they played against bayern and out of a sudden there was a weird fullback against ribery just because at the end of the game he could maybe that was like kind of my um understanding of it can tell the people that he did it. He was the um, the, re the reason why they why they won the game. And then at Chelsea, I have to admit, I didn't watch that much of um, of Tuchel or of Tuchel's football. And now he has converted a little bit towards this. Okay, I don't care. I don't care if we have eighty percent possession, sixty percent possession. If we are, I don't know, controlling the midfield or not. I care if we are creating a lot of big chances. And I think this is um, where they improved the most i still think they are finding the perfect tuchel ball um if you i mean i was impressed that you had such a such a narrowed down definition of what tuchel ball might be or what tuchel ball is at the moment because i think they are still they have sometimes they have half times which are terrible which are like the, the opponent have more possession they didn't create any chances Tuchel was very, or is very upset now I think they're getting more into this um we want to create more space I think the the long the long balls they are pretty nice to be honest I mean Kane is a he is very he's very smart in creating space for others he's very smart in um keeping the keeping the ball in in their own possession And he's not this. Lewandowski was different when when he left Bayern. Lewandowski was just in the in the um, in the box waiting for balls to to score a goal. He didn't care about if he had secured a lot of possessions or not. It was not his his idea at the end. And Kane is interested in in in, in winning in overall. 
And this is where, where Tuchel, I think now, and this is why I'm, I'm a little hesitant in telling if this is Tuchel ball, because Kane arrived. And this is different than last year's Bayern. Totally different. And now I think the, the, the games I watch, and I'm pretty much looking forward to next Sunday, uh, Saturday, where the, is it next Saturday? I think it's next Saturday. Yeah. The, yeah. Bayern against, or Dortmund against Bayern. Because this is going to be a decisive match for Tuchel, not for BVB, but for Tuchel or for Bayern in general. Because this is where they can prove that they are the better team or they are better than last year's um, Bayern. But in general, yeah, I'm still waiting for this. Okay, this is Bayern. This is Tuchel's Bayern. This is, I haven't seen three, four, five consecutive matches where they had exactly the, or not, not exactly, but kind of a similar approach to the game. They did, um, I don't know, they, they were 60, 70, 80% possession. Um, they were, um, yeah, just, just a full package. Does, does it make sense? I'm, I'm sorry to yeah. be a little hesitant, but yeah. But, but, but Jonas, um, isn't that what, what you're telling? You're, you're talking about a very pragmatic coach. Who, has, yeah. uh, who looks at what he has and then uh, tries uh, to make it fit. Isn't this story um, similar to what you were talk, uh, telling us about Edin Terzic in a way? Yeah, but different, totally different, because this is Bayern Munich. What, what Thomas Tuchel did in the beginning <laughs> in terms of his communication style was, this is the material I have. I am not, if this is not going to work out, I am not responsible for doing it. This is what he was doing in the beginning, right? You remember mm -hmm. all those press conferences? Oh, what a shame. The transfer period didn't end well. Now we have to work with that material. So he was defensive in his communication. So that, that's why this is different than Edin Terzic because this is BVB is BVB. This is what they always, I mean, maybe that area with uh, that era with Tuchel was different because they had an amazing team. They had amazing players. They had this great, great coach who was an amazing coach at, at Dortmund. I think they, I mean, unfortunately, Pep Guardiola was on the other side, right? This is the only reason why they didn't want the national, national title. But BVB has to play like this. Bayern didn't. Bayern doesn't. Bayern is always, we are the best team. We have the best players. They still have by far the best team. By mm -hmm. far. I mean, Only look at the like look look at the top four: Zane, Coman, Musiala, and Kane. And we haven't mentioned Müller or Tell or who else is there? I mean, this is, this is Gnabry. Yeah, I totally forgot Gnabry. Forgot Gnabry. <laughs> I mean, this is this is such an amazing team. There are no excuses. But in the beginning, it was like Tuchel wasn't sure. Okay, is this gonna work out? Is this what's gonna happen to Goretzka? What's gonna happen to Kimmich? I want to have a holding six. Yada, yada, yada. So this whole communication style was, okay, if this is not going to end well, I'm not responsible. Let's go from here to the probably most fascinating coach in the Bundesliga right now, Xabi Alonso. I don't know if, if, if you agree. Um, and yesterday when, when, when I was watching their 2-1 win against uh, Freiburg, where Freiburg was... Parking not only one bus, but uh, two buses or three buses or so. Um, I was thinking um, how patient uh, Bayer was, how many ideas uh, they had uh, getting around all these buses uh, in, in their way. And I was also thinking that, um, I mean, Thomas Tuchel is normally seen as a... Um, a pep disciple, but um, is 
probably Xabi Alonso the biggest Pep disciple in the Bundesliga. I don't think so. Um, he is a new new style of coach, and, and as of now, he's he's pragmatic like the others. He has to be. He has to win games. He knows that. But on the other side, he has a clear understanding of what material he has. Like this, he plays with a back five. And this, those huge offensive fullbacks. This is he has those players. He has Grimaldo and Frimpong on the other side. They are they are so good in, your, in the offense. And he put three um, center backs in. Right. This is obviously usually if you look at a back five, that's a very very defensive system. Mm -hmm. But for um, but for uh, um, Leverkusen and Xabi Alonso, this is a little different because they are playing like wingers, both of them. And Grimaldo has a great left foot, probably one of the best in the league and Frimpong is probably has the best or is like his physical abilities are one of the best in the in the league and then if you look at the, at the genesis of Jabi Alonso as a coach he was I think he was um, he had Rafa Benitez at Liverpool he had Jose Mourinho at Real Madrid I think even Carlo Ancelotti then he had Pep Guardiola at Bayern Munich and I think I forgot the fifth world-class coach um, he had in the last, who else was there? I, I'm forgetting one, but he was also a, a world-class player, only world-class coaches. I think his father was a, was a coach. He um, played in Spain, in Germany, in England, every time at the best club, won every title you can think of. So he knows what it means. He knows what it, what it has to, or what he has to do to win games and titles. And then he has put a lot of great players around even greater players. So he has Florian Wirtz, who is, I don't know. I, I said the same about Kai Havertz when he was at Leverkusen, but he is by far the best. Not by far because there's Jamal Musiala, but he is one of the five best under 21 players at the moment in the world. And he has a lot of creativity, he has this huge one-on-one -on -one skill, and he puts the players in the positions where they have the biggest strengths. I think, I think this is the biggest difference between Pep, because Pep doesn't care. Pep does what he does. <laughs> He's like, okay, one player is not performing, I have two others. And this is what Pep always did. It's, it's, the system is the one thing, but Pep was like, this is my system. If people are not performing, I'm going to replace them. And I think... Um, uh, Xabi Alonso, he looked at the material. He looked what he, where he, where he thought they have weaknesses. Then he, then they, they got Granny Chaka. I think Granny Chaka's wife's living in Cologne or is from Cologne or something near the, the Rhineland. Is Rhineland the English term for Rhineland? I don't even yeah. know. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a very smart move. Uh, and the other is Jonas Hofmann. He is a great um, add-on, and I think especially other teams, probably even Bayern. They should think about that transfer, like in the next transfer period as well. Just thinking about it, he's German. He has performed for the last eight years on a very, very high level. You mentioned Florian Wirtz. It's one of the outstanding um, under-21 players in the world. One of the outstanding uh, players in the Bundesliga who yesterday scored a an amazing goal. Um, uh, 14 touches. Uh, before uh, he was dancing almost um, in, in the uh, Freiburg penalty box, uh, surrounded by players in white, uh, Freiburg players um, um, who couldn't stop him. 
and then he uh, he he put it in the net. Um, was it probably the outstanding goal of the season so far? I mean, we had this fantastic long range shots and and and, and so like uh, the one from Harry Kane, but um, this dribbling goals they're rare. They're, yeah. So so let me put it like this: I I don't want to overestimate my own abilities, but I could have scored this, the Kane goal as well, right? Not in the frequency, <laughs> but in general, I could. But the Wirtz goal, I couldn't. And I think nobody else. Maybe Musiala, maybe Zane. Maybe there are three or four players who could do that. So the this is mm -hmm. by far the most outstanding goal in the of the season, just in terms of who else can do that. And if this is this able to be copied, and the Kane goal could, but I think there was another approach like yesterday, was Boniface. Mm -hmm. Somebody, somebody approached from the own half and was quite close. And I think it was Boniface in the in the Leverkusen game. And people can do that. So I have scored a similar goal in a in a friendly game, though, when I was like 20 or something. It's it's easier, although it's very spectacular, but it's easier than those weird goals. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. We see these long range goals a lot now, as the um, um, goalkeepers position themselves so high up and. And and I think now it's within the mind frame of of players that there is a shooting opportunity sometimes um, that probably has been there before. Um, a last word uh, on on Leverkusen. Simple question: Are they good enough to become German champion? I would say no. I watched the second half of the or after watching the second half yesterday. I just realized that Freiburg had a lot of goal scoring opportunity. In the in the second half, they were kind of on a similar on a similar level, and usually, this is not a the best sign. I mean, they are pretty pretty good, and I hope that we're gonna after the season you're gonna say, okay, Jonas, hey, you're a bad pundit <laughs> because you didn't expect that. I would love that, but it's still, and I hate that I say that, but it's still Leverkusen, right? They still have <laughs> their, in their minds this. It's oh, okay to ouch. lose a game. It's okay to lose a game. This is. It's terrible, but it's not okay to lose a game for Bayern. And this is usually the biggest difference. Even in the media is not that much. They are not like bullshitting everybody, which is good, which is very human. And it should be, it should be uh, the, the basic standard. But yeah, they are not as deep as Bayern. They've been the, like the, they, they have a run. Let's put it like that. They have a run. Um, they're going to be, they're going to end at the top three. Or top four depends on how good the others are. But to for a title for a title run, I think they are not they are not ready yet. Yeah. So so let's look at the other end of the table and uh, uh, maybe uh, look at a game uh, where also a team that is um, probably a title candidate was involved. Uh, Leipzig was. Mm, Winning, to put it mildly, uh, 6-0 against Cologne. Um, and Steffen Baumgart, Cologne's co coach, was furious. Um, he said, I don't understand it. I don't accept it. And uh, he, he was already on the pitch um, calling his players together and in a very, hmm, how can I say that, aggressive way 
was telling them that he was not satisfied with this performance. Um, uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, the game, uh, Jonas, but I found it a bit harsh um, because um, Leipzig actually played really well. And, and, and we know if they get into a flow, they are also um, a, a top team in the Bundesliga and Cologne is a relegation candidate and so on. So um, uh, what was Steffen Baumgart right in criticizing his uh, players so much? I mean, in the end of the day, he has to decide that, right? He, has the, he knows when the players have to, I don't know, have to be treated a little harsher than we would probably. I think I watch a lot of Cologne games because I was um, commentating on the Cologne-Gladbach game last week and I watched the game before against against Leverkusen and the other one against, I think, Stuttgart. So I watched a lot of um, their games. I think I thought they made a step forward last week when they played against Gladbach because they changed the system a little bit and Steffen Baumgart is a coach. He is always, he has, has this mantra of like, we're doing what we have to do. We're doing what we did through the last season and the season before. So there's this one way he's always um, focusing on. And at some point it was like, okay, maybe you don't have another idea of how to win games and how to treat your players. So maybe this is the first time he actually realized, okay, I have to treat them differently because otherwise this way of treating the players kind of is wearing out if, there's, if this makes sense. But he's telling the same words, the same phrases for the last two, three years. And at some point, if you don't change the players, you have to change the, the words a little bit. So, yeah. But to be honest, I think it's, When I look back at my career, being yelled at never worked on me. <laughs> Sometimes or for some players it, wor it works, but for me it didn't, never. Right? I mean, I know when I lose 6-0 against Leipzig that it wasn't a good game. But then if you look at the Leipzig players and somebody like Sheshko comes in um, as a replacement for, for another striker, it's like, this is an amazing player. Although he's young, Sheshko is going to be one of the best strikers in the Bundesliga in the next years if he stays at Leipzig. And they have a very good team. Marco Rose is a great coach. They, are, they have a great run. They are not as deep, but at the moment they are they are pretty, pretty good. And where's the difference between losing 3-0 or 6-0? To be honest, I mean, at the end of the day, if the goal difference leads to maybe um, the relegation, then okay. But um, Jonas, we've met last week at the Olympia Stadium in Berlin, where Union was playing against Napoli and uh, losing 1-0, their ninth defeat in a Uh, row now it's uh, this um, uh, Saturday it was number 10 they're losing 2-0 at Bremen uh, <laughs> should Urs Fischer yell more at his players or uh, so what, what's your your impression um, of them it's um, I mean 10 defeats is a is a terrible streak and and, and before you answer I, I, I give our listeners a uh, Uh, a tiny episode uh, that adds to, I mean, uh, uh, Union lost after um, they scored an own goal. Um, before that, um, uh, Werder uh, 
didn't create any goal chances. Um, then they uh, had a player sent off, Rani Kedira, for what for a kung fu foul. I think that he would never do normally in life. But the uh, little story I wanted to tell is about Adrian Wittmann, who most of our listener won't know. He's a match analyst of um, uh, Urs Fischer. And he, he uh, uh, sorry that I laugh, he torn his patella tendon uh, in in Bremen on his way from the observer place to the to the dressing room and will be out until until uh, Christmas and I, I think that probably sums it up uh, that everything that can go wrong goes wrong at Union right now or, 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 or what how do you see them yeah I was I mean first of all it's crazy that you can um, you can have such a bad injury and I'm very prone to getting injuries so don't tell me that again please because I'm usually not thinking or expecting that I can injure myself on the stands but anyways it reminds me a lot of the BVB season with Jürgen Klopp although BVB was a little the last I think was Klopp was Jürgen's last season mm-hmm. where they were at some point on the last place of the Bundesliga after I don't know six or seven amazing years where there is, I don't know what happened. I mean, you can analyze and it's like they have, the distances are too are too high or too much. They're running that not as fast, but this is, I think there's such a mental crisis within everybody, within the whole team. And there was a huge basketball coach, Phil Jackson, who phrased the term and I was um, referred to that. It's called the disease of me. Okay. And he, he describes that as if there's un- unexpected success, everybody overestimates his or her own um, contribution to the success. So although I'm just, uh, I don't know, number 16 or 17 in the team, I think without me, without the three substitutions where after the substitution I went in and we won a game, we wouldn't have won the either wouldn't have um, qualified for the Champions League or whatever it is, right? Um, and I think this is what happened at the Dion as well. You can't avoid that. You can't do something else, although you probably can replace the players. But there are so many nice people and I've met some of them. I know some of them. They had an amazing run over the last years. But I think, and I hate to say that because I love Urs Fischer, I love the project. I think they... Are just great, great contribution to the Bundesliga. But I think there has to be this moment of, I don't know, something has to happen. I mean, they lost 10 games in a row. They have they even, they even, they're not even playing bad. It's just, they play like, like last year. Seriously, the, the body language is obviously very negative at the moment. If you, they concede a goal and everybody's like, okay, this is happening again. Are you kidding me? And then Kedira <laughs> is going to send off. Last year, could have, he would have, I don't know, maybe he would even would have got a, uh, would have get a yellow card instead of red card. It's just like, this is a very mental crisis. It's not a, it's not a matter of they can, if they can play good football anymore. It's just, uh, yeah, it's in the head. It's it's terrible to watch. I mean, even on on Wednesday, the, the game was like they were they weren't worse than Napoli. No, <laughs> it, they 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 could have won the game. I mean, this is yeah, this is the worst part of of football. 
But but when interesting that you compare the situation of Union with the one of Borussia Dortmund in Jurgen Klopp's last year, because now in hindsight it's it's a famous example for probably a wrong decision um, that the, that the coach is leaving because um, as we remember in that at that time, I think. Early in spring or so, um, Borussia made public that at the end of the season, uh, the ways are separated with Klopp and Borussia Dortmund. And uh, I think until today, everybody is uh, here and then is complaining that Jürgen Klopp is not there anymore in, in Dortmund. And, um, and they corrected it the season in the second part of the season. And I think they uh, all even qualified for the for the uh, UEFA yeah, they finished seventh they finished yeah. seventh and um, and so is it is it is it um, so when when we compare that to Union uh, would you say go on wait Uh, maybe go to a church, um, uh, a little <laughs> candle, and and and, uh, and, and then uh, things uh, will be better in the second half of the season. First of all, when did they announce at BB that Jurgen Klopp's going to retire? I think they're going to. They April. mentioned it. Uh, it wasn't April. April. It was that late. Yeah. Okay. So maybe I had more intel than you before. I don't know, because I thought it was like in January or something. Probably you know in January. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. But, but, yeah, did, yeah, okay, okay. but, but didn't tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't paid enough, obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, okay, okay, yeah. But I think there has to be this, like, okay, it's gonna, I mean, it's was Fischer's sixth or seventh season? Sixth. Sixth. So, and they have some players uh, there for the sixth season as well, right? So um, Three. Three um, players? Christopher Trimmel, the, the, the captain, Geraldo Becker and Jakob Busk, the uh, third goalkeeper, because okay. they, because they, as we remember, they more or less each season have a new uh, team. I mean, they... Yeah, true, uh, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even this season, they changed a lot of players, a lot of players coming in and, 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 and going out. I think in Dortmund, they have just, they have heard the Jurgen Klopp words for seven, eight years, right? So they had this, this um, I don't know, core team with Bender, my brother, Nevin Subotic, Schmelzer, and all the others who were there for many, many years. And I think at some point, you're just unconsciously annoyed of the same words, of the same training, of the same faces. So I don't know if that happened at Union. I'm not that close to Union. I'm not that, I'm not following them that deeply as I did with um, Dortmund um, in the, was it 2015, 16 season, something, something like that. Um, so, yeah, but it, it just, this is what it reminds me of and this is what I what I see from the outside is like there has to be a change and I hate to say that I wouldn't fire the coach if I were the coach I would say hey I'm gonna retire at the end of the season this has been amazing this has been an amazing ride and now we're gonna end it well just to have this positive um, attitude around that because at the moment he is very negative I haven't seen him that negative during press conferences it's funny because like his press conference and interviews They're useless. He is playing with media. <laughs> he, seriously, I mean, I like it because it's funny. But if you look at it from a from a 
from a media perspective, it's it's useless, right? I mean, he's he's telling whatever he wants to tell. He's making fun of the of the field reporters, and now he's he's negative. Now he's he's pointing, he's finger pointing, he's he's naming players like in in, in the public and. Yeah. If only somebody could write a book about this. Who could, who could do that? I don't know. <laughs> the importance of, of luck and bad luck in football. But we'll have to wait for somebody to, to take up that, uh, that uh, specific task. Um, okay, a few more results that we should mention. Stuttgart, after their fine run, uh, lost at home to Teske Hoffenheim, who are on the great run themselves. They're up to sixth, 3-2, Nogirasi, and a game that Stuttgart uh, could have at least drawn. They had lots of chances, very entertaining. Um, five goals contributing contributing to that uh, crazy tally of 42 goals on match day nine. Uh, also five goals at Augsburg, who under Jesse Thorup looked like a completely different side overcame uh, spirited visitors, Niko Kovac, to, to win the game. Very, very impressive. They're up till 10th. There was also, Borussia mentioned Gladbach's 2-1 win over Heidenheim. A early birthday present, really, those three points for our producer, York, who's been much suffering. Only their second Bundesliga win of the season. Happy birthday, producer York. Hope you had a, uh, a good time on Saturday. And Jonas, you watched a little bit uh, of that game. What was your impression? Um, I think Gladbach is in a in a roller coaster season. They switched again back to the back four. They played with a back five for a couple of games, had some success, played terrible. One of the most terrible games I've ever seen of Gladbach against Köln at the at the derby. The derby. Um, and now they are back to the back four. Elvedi is back after this weird um situation around his contract and not um extending it yada 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 so yeah i don't know i don't know what to what to make of gladbach sioane is still searching for position he's still searching for the right um for the right starting 11 neuhaus played three amazing games then a worst one of the worst half times against against cologne so they are i don't know they are finding themselves after this i mean they had some some issues in the after the last season in terms of okay, there were a few new players, new coach. So yeah, it's hard to make a statement. I think if they are, I don't know, at the end of the of the season uh, around, I don't know, the tenth, eleventh, twelfth position in the league, I think it was a good season. Um, and maybe um, we have um, uh, another edition of um, learning Fußball Deutsch in the context of this game because. Um, Towards the end of the game, um, Heidenheim was really pushing for the equalizer. Learning Fußball Deutsch with beer and honey. And so finally it was a Zitter-Sieg. Raphael, what on earth is a Zitter-Sieg in English? <laughs> uh, I don't know if there is a... English equivalent for Zitter-Sieg. <laughs> um, Zittern, Zittern means to shiver and Sieg is victory. So it is a, a win that's full of fear and anxiety because 
you are anything but in control. Um, so we've seen a lot of those, uh, especially from from Bayern over the last few <laughs> few uh, few months. Um, there is no such thing as a Titter Unentschieden. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe there should be. Yeah, but, but yeah, yeah. Mm. I think there's also a Zitter Unentschieden, but no, no, nobody has ever called it like uh, like this. Because, I mean, if you're, let's say, if you're Bochum and playing against Bayern and, and it's 1-1 in the 92nd minutes and, and you're trying to get it over the line, I think in the, in the end it will be a Zitter Unentschieden. But... Um, But that's not foot, uh, Fußball Deutsch. It would be a new impression just invented by Raphael Honigstein, uh, maybe going straight to the German Duden and <laughs> for Zitterhorn entschieden. Yeah. No, I, I just mentioned it because uh, that's what you experienced, uh, wasn't it, in a way, uh, on, on Friday night when you couldn't watch uh, Mainz against Bochum because you had some slightly more glamorous things to do yeah i was uh, i was very happy to uh, to pick up the prize for the uh, football book of the year in germany um i've written a book about thank you uh, about uh, 30 years of modern football it's called um jeden preis is it at any price yeah huh? the 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 true story of modern football Or at any cost yeah. at any cost yeah um so uh so that was great. But unfortunately, the DFL, the German Football League, put is on Friday a Bochum against Mainz. And so I was sitting there in Nuremberg and, and uh, I couldn't see it. And, um, and sometimes I was like kind of um, uh, secretly looking on my smartphone how the, uh, what the live ticker was saying. And, and before the, um, great final when all the other winners and so on came onto the stage I, I i took a brief look on and bochum was two one up and when i went from the stage um mines had equalized and um and later on when i saw uh, the goals i was uh, pretty depressed um because um i think also mines was very lucky to get away with the point in bochum not only because they scored the 2-2 in the 96th minute, but two more or less own goals uh, from Bochum. So, yeah, it's also tough for Bochum. So still two teams in the Bundesliga that haven't won a game and uh, it's Bochum and Mainz. Yeah, and also great scheduling because if there's one game that's going to excite the world about uh, German football on Friday night, it is surely Bochum against Mainz. So well done. Well done, DFL. I think that's all we got time for. Thank you very much, uh, Jonas, for joining us. Thank you, dear listener, for being with us. We really appreciate your support. Uh, I was Rafael Honigstein. I was Christoph Biermann. And we say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast.